Okay, Stacy, is there a percentage of grant approvals that an organization should strive for? A board member asked me how many grants we applied for and what we received as a percentage or ratio. And while I can provide it, I'm wondering whether it's a good number, a bad number, or completely contextually dependent. Well, I say this is very dependent, right? There's so many variables with this kind of thing. And so so when people get stuck in this idea of, you know, you hear all the time, like, people hiring grant writing consultants or whatever, grant writers, contractors, and not wanting to pay them unless they get the grant. And yet it could have been a really well-written grant. So, I mean, first of all, like in my mind, it's like, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of variables, everything from, you know, how the grant's written to the relationship to, you know, just the pot of money that maybe it was an amazing grant, but they just didn't have enough money and, you know, and, and whatever, you didn't get chosen this time. Um, and, you know, funders who maybe have different, you know, they tell you one thing of what they want to fund and actually really are looking for something a little different. So, so I just, I feel like there's so many variables that I think it's really tough to look at this from a, like, what is, how are we doing? Like, I mean, obviously you want to be doing something well, um, and getting some approvals, Um, but yeah, like that just feels so, it just depends. It is contextually dependent in my opinion. Yeah, I, I I agree too. I mean, especially after the fact, right? That's a, that's a really hard way to look at that question. One of the things I've usually done is provided that on the budget side. So usually a fundraiser will know somebody's working on a grant, the person that's writing it or the person that's discovered it will have a sense with that particular grant. Like I think there's a, 50% chance we get this grant or a 75% chance or a 5% chance, right? And when you've got that, then you can compare that once you know what you're, and then, and then the other thing we do is we'll, we'll multiply what you're asking for times the percentage likelihood to get what we expect to bring in. And then that way, that expected number becomes what you're comparing it against. So if we thought it was a five, you know, it's a million dollar grant, there's a 5% chance we're going to get that grant. We're not hitting our budget for a million dollars. We're only hitting our budget for a small fraction of that. So, so it's not going to mess our budget up. And, and what I've noticed over time, which is really interesting, is that development people are really, really good at coming up with those percentages. You'd think like just, you know, especially if you use the finance lens and look at it, you're like, uh, they're going to lowball everything. They're going to yeah. try to make it. You know, they say like, oh, we're never going to get any of these. And then they look like heroes when they get all of it. But but what I've discovered like over time is that that's actually not the case and that they're really good at coming up with an almost perfect percentage. So and this works with this works with individual giving too. like, you know, who the donor is, you know, their propensity to give, you know what the program is you're going to be asking them for. And so you can say this donor, this amount of money. 80% chance I'm going to get it. And that's almost always accurate because development people like, they just know what their job is. Right. They know how it works. And so if you're looking for something to compare, maybe that's a better thing to compare the likelihood of each individual grant based on what the person writing the grant or the development team thinks is the likelihood. And then you can compare those numbers together and you're looking at apples to apples. But as, as you mentioned, Stacy, like it, any given grant, I mean, anybody can yeah. apply for anything and yeah. it doesn't make it, it's a good idea. And which is why one of the metrics you're not going to use for your development team is like volume of grants applied right. for. That's a really stupid metric. Right. So, so yeah. So I think there are better metrics you can use. I, I agree that like, that's not one of them. <laughs> so maybe you could steer your board member to something that's not 
not apples and oranges, right? Yeah. And I'd rather see, yeah, I'd rather see something like, okay, it, and it's a lot easier. I think you would agree based on what you're, what you're saying that if it's a repeat grant, right? Like if there's some trends with that funder, you can see, oh, wow, all we get from them every year is 10 grand. Uh, or we keep increasing every year and we're building the relationship and there's more room and maybe their grants go up to 25 grand and we've gotten to 15 grand. Maybe this year we try to increase it. So like, I'd rather see it be a formula, like, you know, maybe if it was sort of retention, retention of grants, as well as sort of growth in those grants where it makes sense. I mean, something that's a little bit, um, that you have a little better idea from, especially like if you're applying for a first time grant, you, you've got, I, your guess is as good as mine, unless you have a really killer relationship that you know all the inside workings. Um, so so when we got this question, one of the things I did is I just, I just went online to see, because I've never heard anyone use a percentage. I've heard people like spitball percentages, but I've never heard it like any sort of source use percentages. So if there is a source out there that does this, like, I mean, I'd be curious and I'd probably question how in the heck they came up with it, um, which is what I'm about to do now because I did find one source, right? So these stats came from Funding for Good and they said, so a grant writer applying for a combination of new and existing funders, right? So kind of the new and the existing should have a success rate between 50 and 60%. Um, a grant writer applying for new, you know, grants or new first-time grants should have a success rate of 30 to 40%. I personally think that's kind of high from what I've seen, but again, this is sort of a guessing game, right? Um, anyways, and then they talk about like grant writers applying for existing grants, you know, just only like have a success rate of about 80%. But as you and I know, like, again, this is so dependent because if you didn't do any like metrics to show how you spent the money or share like what your success was, like that'll impact it. So, so please know that I share those figures with a grain of salt, because I think what we're talking about is it needs to be a larger conversation and one that is based on actual sort of real life information, not a guessing game. Yeah, that's, I would love to see the sources they used for those percentages as well as the error bars because yes. they've got to be massive. I mean, yes. it because again, if you just use the shotgun method, you're not going to even get close to 30 percent. No, you have to no. pick and choose very specific. I don't know that. The fact that there are any percentages attached to that, I find well, hilarious. that's why I laughed, and I did. I will <laughs> say I had to do a little digging, so you know this isn't so, so that that probably is an indicator that this isn't something you should be doing. So. Yeah, and if you wrote that study, call us because we have yeah. some questions. Yeah, we'd love to bring you on. <laughs> nonprofit governance, nonprofit answers, nonprofit board, nonprofit management, nonprofit marketing, nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm Stacy Wedding, and I'm here with my fantastic co host, Andy Shurick. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> We're here to oh my, uh, answer Stace. a bunch of Stacy. Your voice has gotten so deep. <laughs> yes, I was. I've been. I've been sick. <laughs> We're we're here to answer nonprofit questions. Uh, just recently, we started a Discord channel, which uh, has a few people on it, not very many. This is actually a kind of a new thing we're trying out just to see if we can get some more engagement around particular questions. Uh, it's a good place to sort of chat with other users. 
we're going to start dragging guest experts in there too. So maybe we can make it just sort of another community to get another, like another vector for new questions for the podcast, because this whole thing runs on user questions. So if you don't ask us questions, I don't know, maybe we just sing. Can we sing for an oh, entire dear. 30 minute no. episode? No, no, no. I no. can put my kids on. Do you want to hear my kids? <laughs> uh, my Seriously, my five-year-old will talk to you for 30 hey, minutes straight. That would you be won't pretty say adorable. And my dogs would bark, so we could do that. <laughs> We just do that. We'll just leave the, we'll threaten everybody with the kids and dogs episode um, if you don't ask us questions. So, but we have some questions today. So let's let's get into it. Our organization is undergoing strategic planning for the first time in several years. We have looked at all of our existing programs and activities to see if they truly further our mission and larger organizational goals. We still have way too many things on our plate. And as a staff, we're drowning and all reaching burnout. Do you have any advice on how to figure out what else we can cut or reduce as we do our planning? Well, a strategic plan is the right time to start thinking about those kinds of things. Um, one of the tools that that I've used for especially for organizations where I'm doing strategic planning internally, so not externally as a consultant because that's a completely different animal. Um, one of the things we do and I've done internally is to to start from a blank sheet of paper instead of using the pre- previous plan as a starting point. And you get people to build up, you get people to build up a budget. You ask them what people they need. You start, you get, you work from like the needs assessment side. And then it starts to become clear as you get that data, what's more important to people and what's less important. Um, one of the things we've discovered as we've done that kind of process is there are programs that are the donors like a lot that fund the organization that aren't super effective. Like the donors seem to think it's really effective. It's really easy to sell because it's got kids or puppies. And, and so you've got revenue attached to it and you're continuing to hang on to this program, not because it meets the things that are in your overall needs assessment, but because you know that that's sort of a common source of revenue that you don't want to give up. Like, and then once you start to discover those kinds of things, you can start to say, this is what we've got the revenue for. This is going to be the biggest win in terms of meeting our mission. The things that we can, the things that we move the needle the biggest, like, and we've seen this in organizations too. Like, I mean, especially even in the food banking space now. So just recently, like with the pandemic and now with cost of food going up and supply chain issues and all these other things, like the food bank world is upside down. But for a while there, uh, there was a lot of food out there. There's a lot of food. A lot of people were getting fed. It was really easy. And there are a handful of food banks that sort of, as they went through their strategic planning process, they looked at like, what's the big issue that we're facing as an organization? And it and hunger didn't actually make the top 10. Well, maybe it made the top 10, but it didn't make the top three. And And what they realized is that they needed to work on social justice issues. They needed to work on economic empowerment. They needed to come up with like all of these other things actually rose to the top, which was really uncomfortable as an organization that was dedicated to providing food. Like this was no longer the top three. They thought that hunger would end up in the top three things when they did this process. And so, so maybe like starting from the needs assessment stage, starting from a completely blank sheet of paper and, and figuring out like what the organization needs to do to really move the needle the most can can sort of help sort 
your activities. And the ones that fall down to the bottom of the list, if there's funding for them and you've got bodies for them, awesome. Keep doing them. If there's not funding for them or they, they're just things that have been part of the organization for years, but are no longer quite as necessary. Like then it's a, those are, those are good flags to tell you that maybe those are the kind of things that maybe should fall off the bottom of the list. Um, but it sounds like you're, I mean, to be honest, it sounds like you're in a good place already because this is a, um, it's a good question to have and a question that mature organizations have and not ones that baby organizations have because they're always like, we're biting off everything and we're going to chew it all. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This one's like, hey, how do we streamline, which is awesome. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, and I also think it could be, I'd be interested to know more about the organization and the person who wrote it, right? Like what maybe their organizations, even in that transition phase where they were that baby organization, right? That was chewing, like biting it all off. And now they're like, we've grown. And now we get to be a little more selective and strategic, which is cool. Um, so one resource I use, and it's there's actually a book out there. I, it's I believe it's called The Sustainability Mindset. If you haven't read it, um, I highly recommend nonprofits get it. It's um, got people who really understand the nonprofit sector as well as, you know, have a deep financial background, but also just understand the entire sort of um, all the fun- functional areas of a nonprofit. And so, so this the kind of genesis of this book is like there's this matrix map where on the vertical axis, like if you were to do an X, Y axis, like on the vertical axis is impact. And you get to talk about, like you get to define that yourself. What does that mean, right? But, but impact. And then on the, the horizontal axis, is profitability. So your true costs. So th- so hopefully if you've got that info, great. If not, you you do your best to kind of guess what are the true costs, time included, out-of-pocket expenses, right? Um, what funding sources do we have that sort of cover that? Just kind of a, a more thoughtful analysis on all of that. And you when you map out and take every activity your organization does from like its programs to its fundraising events, to, you know, you can't, you really have to do it from like that holistic scale. It starts to show you like visually, you kind of remove yourself from the emotion of, oh, I really like this cool program we do. And you see it on here and go, wow, like this isn't profitable or impactful. So maybe we need to just ditch this, right? Versus here's one that has some impact, but we haven't figured out, we haven't cracked the nut yet of how to make it a little more profitable. So so is that one we keep? But that shouldn't be where all of them live. Like ultimately you want it all up in that, you know, that right hand quadrant where it's impact and profitability. It's anyways, I'm really kind of taking something that um, is done. They do a much better job in the book than what I'm doing, but but that it's something that I think going through an activity like that can also be really helpful when you're doing this kind of planning because it, it removes it removes the sort of personal pet projects and makes them a little more data driven so you can make some educated decisions. I, I like using the idea of using data to determine what what's the most effective. The one of the challenges that I've seen with with that kind of tool is that sometimes donors are interested in things that aren't the most effective. Um, they like it for whatever random reason. And it's really hard to have a conversation with a donor about, I know you've been funding this for the last five years. Thank you for the $6 million you've given us over the last six years for this particular program. But 
it's actually not that great of a program. Like we looked at it in the numbers, like it's actually not giving us the benefit that we necessarily want. Um, how about these other programs? Like nobody, nobody wants to ever go and do that. Um, and it's, and, and we'll say like, you know, in some, in some organizations, this is less risky than others, but some organizations like having the donors drive what you should be working on is not super responsible nonprofit management. Right. Well, that's, so, yeah. Right. So keeping a track, like, so, so I'm imagining this, I'm imagining this, this, these four quadrants. Right. And I would, I would push towards like, maybe we keep things that are profitable that may have less impact because they help support something that has high impact and isn't currently profitable. Like, do we, can we move them? Can we move the money so that we can pay for something that's really effective and then spend time working on getting more people interested in that because of its effectiveness, um, and it's really easy to talk about this in abstract too. When you're talking about, like it's mentioned, we're talking about people yeah. and the things that they like working on, it gets so much harder. Well, and I think it's though, to your point though, that's what all of this is about. It's a great discussion tool and it's a discussion tool that takes it away from, I like this program to like, hey, like when we actually look at it on this, we're not saying we're getting rid of anything yet, but we need to really figure out, do we see, I mean, like the only, the only quadrant that you probably would want to get rid of if, if there's no impact, no profitability. And that goes to your point. Like, I don't know. I mean, like you'd have the profitability piece if a donor was funding it, but like, is that really, do you want to sell your soul to every donor's quirky idea? I don't know. Like, I mean, and so then it kind of brings that. And, and I know that's the reality of it, right? We all have, oh, I'm a donor and I want to, whatever, like fund this great idea that, <laughs> doesn't apply at all to your organization, but I think would be cool. Like, but how do we shift that conversation, even educate the donor in it? Say, hey, like we could take some genesis of your idea and like, but, but like, like, here's what we're thinking. Like, like, how could we move it in this direction? And I don't know, like, how could a donor argue with that? If I'm a donor, I give you an idea and then you show me this like analysis you did and I realize it sucks. I probably am going to be like, unless there's some really, I don't know, ego-driven reason, which we know a lot of this happens from, like, I'm going to listen to you and be like, and maybe that's me being idealistic, Andy, you probably are saying, oh, of course, Stace. But like, I'm like, I think if it's done the right way, you can educate donors, still make them feel bought in and actually help you make that transition to something that's going to be what you need it to be. Yeah. Especially the big donors that you have good relationships yeah. with, right? People that have been giving to you for over a period of time and you you can actually sit down with them and go, hey, this is what we've discussed. You know, we're learning. Yeah. This is what we've discovered. Yeah. I think that's I think that's a really good way to go for this question, too. I mean, one of the pieces of it is like we're we've got too many things on our plate and we're drowning and reaching burnout. That tells me that in in one sense, like you may have too many program areas, but it also seems like maybe you're under underfunding your staff. Oh, true. You're 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 pro- there's a one of the things that this tells me is maybe you're just not hiring enough people because you're not bringing the revenue in. Yeah. And so looking at those programs, like how do we reach donors better? How do we get them interested in the mission? How do we beef up the fundraising side of our organization? That's going to help you like do all of those things because then you're going to be able to bring more people on board um, and everybody doesn't need to work 80 hours a week to get this done because we've got some more bodies to throw at it. Um, I'd, I'd focus a little on the revenue side and see if, you know, are you doing, you know, silly things? Are you doing direct mail? If not, why not? Right. Yeah. Like how, yeah. how are we going to support the organization financially for, for a longer period of time? Um, and cutting programs, sometimes that's one way to do it, but raising money is another way. Yeah. 
Amen. No, no pressure, fundraising professionals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm new to being an executive director of a membership organization, and I have no prior nonprofit experience. I have inherited a budget that was created by two mid-level employees and approved by the board. Now that I am three months into my position, I can tell this is a very inaccurate budget that does not reflect the goals my board and I have for our association this year. So how should I go about making financial decisions with such an inaccurate budget? And Andy, I would share that this person also goes on to say that because they're part of a, a, a membership organization, right, They their budget was also formally approved by all of their organization's members. So I, I sensed some trepidation in this question about, you know, like there's no way we can go back and ask our members and our board to revise the budget. So what do we do? And this one's this one's yours, my friend. <laughs> I think it's funny, like so many times we're answering questions and we're like, I wish people had added more detail. And then when we get a question with lots of detail, we're like, this is too long. Yeah, we're like, sorry, we got to we gotta cut <laughs> we this. We can't read this. This is too long. <laughs> so we do. We have more information that thank you for actually submitting more information and we'll edit them as we go, I guess. Um, so in generally the the approved budget, especially in a membership organization, when you've got the membership approving the budget, um, you can, there's nothing preventing you from writing a completely new budget and bringing it back to everybody and having them approve that. Um, that said, what are you, what are you actually achieving by doing that? So what a budget is, is somebody's best guess at some period of time, what kind of revenue and expenses are going to happen during that time. And the board approved it. Like they didn't have a problem with it when it got approved. And then you come along and you're like, this is terrible. <laughs> right. Which it, it may well be. Um, so is, is the time and energy that you're going to spend in generating a brand new budget um, to be, you know, it's going to take you some time to get that done. You've, you've been there for three months. It's going to take you a little bit of time to get that piece done of it. So you're then going to be approving a six month budget, which is going to more accurately reflect what you think is really going to happen in those six months. Um, is, is that time well spent? Or is the time that you could use to do that better spent um, actually doing program services and trying to figure out your job a little bit more? I mean, I think I don't have an answer for that. I think I know what I would do. If I'd walk into a situation and they've got a crap budget, I would be like, yeah, it's not my camel, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I don't, I'm not going to have to worry about that. We can, re we can report on it at the end of the year and go, yeah, well, this is the budget I inherited. Here's what actually happened. And I think that would be the end of the conversation I had about it because- your board understands they approved it. They know you're new. The, the membership approved it. They know you're new. I think, I think you're probably okay. And you, you shouldn't worry about, especially in the nonprofit sector, covering your butt quite as much as you would in the for-profit sector, because we're nicer here. Like it's a harder job, but to be honest, we understand it's a harder job. So we're going to cut you a little slack. I don't do know think, though. Stacey? So I, I would do it differently, Andy. So if I were in those shoes, I would probably go through a budget amendment or revised budget because because a I would want or at the very at the bare minimum I would make sure everyone was aware of the fact that the budget that now that I've come in and whatever done uh, you know looked under you know, looked in the drawers a little bit and gotten to understand more about the organization. I've seen that we've really over forecasted revenue 
and, you know, under-forecasted expenses. And this is like my management tool, right? This is the tool I use, I don't know, that I'm going to use as an organization to see, like, how are we doing against our budget? And so, like, if I don't have an accurate tool, and maybe I'm being really elementary about this, but, like, how do I... (laughs) how do I know where I'm at? Like, if this is kind of this just waste of paper that, or, you know, it's something I don't even need to look at because it's totally bunkus. Like, and I think like, I don't want any surprises at the end of it. When I show my budget is way over or way under, I don't want people being like, wow, did we make the right hire? Because we thought our budget was in tip top shape. And here comes, you know, this new, new gal who has completely not managed to budget. So like, I don't know, like to me, what you're saying about not doing it. I get what you're saying from time, but I go, that makes me really nervous. <laughs> so I hear that. I'm, I'm going to stick to my guns though. Okay. The, you're a brand new executive director. You've been at this organization for exactly three months. You've got two mid-level employees. And if you've been in the position of those mid-level employees, when that new ED comes in who has no nonprofit experience and starts kicking the desks over because they know better than you, because by God, they used to work for (laughs) whoever, right? (laughs) I was at Intel for 14 years and I know how things should run. Um, You're going to lose that battle because those, unless those mid-level employees are the people that everyone already hates, they've got the team on their side and you're the new person. So maybe tread carefully, maybe three months of learning about a nonprofit organization that you've never been an organization executive director before. Maybe that's not enough time to really know where the bodies are buried. Maybe, maybe you do have lofty goals for the organization, but you don't know how fundraising works because you've never done it because you're brand new to this role. I would tread especially in this situation, I would tread very, very carefully and try not to show up as the bully who's going to shove this organization in a direction that maybe they don't want to go. Look at previous year's budgets. Like if, if, you know, you've got plenty of history that you can look at, look, was last year's budget this bad? Was the year before that this bad? Was the year before that this bad? Or, did, or are they trying to set you up to fail? Right. Did these two mid-level employees go, I'm going to show this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and like immediately like, oh, yeah, we're going to raise $62 million this year. And no other year have we raised more than one. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe it's something like that. But you're going to know by the context. But I'd be I I tread carefully. I don't think I don't think you know enough to know what you don't know at three months in at a brand new organization. I never did. I feel like it could bite you either way. So here's like, <laughs> yeah. right, like it could bite you. So you have at the end of the year budget to actual is way off like that bites you, but not like, yeah, stepping on people's toes and act, you know, having this sense of arrogance that I know like this, we need to redo this whole thing. I also go, but aren't you being hired for that, right? Mid-level employees, probably I'm going to guess, maybe they had no experience ever putting together a budget. Yeah. Maybe it got dumped in their laps right? this year. Got like, d- I don't so, know. So, like, so you know what it almost feels like? It feels like an opportunity to ask a lot of questions, like, yeah. like to be inquisitive, right? Like, can you help me understand, like, what was the process? All right. And, and, you know, maybe give a little bit of like some yellow flags, not red flags, but yellow flags to the board. And just so they know, so they're not surprised. Like, Hey, I, you know, I, you approve the budget and it's great, you know, and we're going with it. But, you know, I'm noticing some things that that may be a little bit different. Like, I feel like something, some kind of communication. So it's not like, what in the heck happened at the yeah. end of it? Yeah. 
And you're, I mean, your board is going to, since this is new, your board's going to be sympathetic to you. Like most, most boards, and I don't know your board, most boards are going to be sympathetic to you. You're brand new. You just walked in and maybe, maybe it is totally unrealistic. There's no way you're going to reach those fundraising goals or it's the opposite. Like, like where's all the money we're supposed to be able to get, right? So why did you, why did you lowball everything? So um, the board's going to be sympathetic to you and is, is willing to give you a pass on that first year because it's not a full year and you're brand new. Um, I wouldn't be super concerned about it. And, and go back to what I said initially, like the nonprofit sector isn't nearly as cutthroat as you might think it is. And, and being honest and being genuine and talking and having communication with your mid-level staff that yeah. made the budget, like, can you explain to me how all these numbers came up? Cause I don't think I get it. Right. Like those are good things to start in your organization so that you have, um, you've got people on your side and not immediately coming in and, you know, and, and screaming at people and kicking the doors down. I mean, that's, you're never going to last long behaving like that in any nonprofit organization. I don't care who you are. You know what I'm thankful for, Andy? Mm, cheese. Well, pizza was number one on the list. Okay, so you were kind of close. <laughs> anyway, no, in all seriousness, I'm super thankful for our listeners. And we do this for you. We do this in hopes that maybe we're shedding some new light on topics, bringing in guest experts who are smarter than we are, and just uh, keeping the dialogue about what's on your mind going. So thanks for sticking with us uh, through another episode and for your questions. We... Uh, we couldn't do this without them, and no question is too small, as as you know. So please ping us and let us know. And uh, nonprofiteverything.com is one of the many places you can find us. Thanks. Mm-hmm.